Um, today being the um, 31st, I always like to just make a quick pass through Proverbs. So I picked one verse out of Proverbs chapter 31, and uh, I picked verse 30. It says, But a woman who reverently and worshipfully fears the Lord shall be praised. And I want to say to my lovely wife, um, happy anniversary. Yesterday was our 39th wedding anniversary. (laughs) Okay, well, I want to pray over the word. Lord, um, thank you for the fact that you promised that your word will never return void. And we will read your scripture today. And and God, I pray that um, what your spirit intends to happen because of, of, of his plans of love for us today will happen now. I pray, God, that um, the Spirit would just speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of quick verses, um, then we're going to get to our text. These are different, a little bit random, might feel that way to you, but I, but I thought we should read them today. today. Luke 24, verses 1 through 4. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Matthew 28, 5 and 6. Then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Week, okay. Now they're saying they saw him. Like he just suddenly appeared in a locked room. Uh, they didn't believe it was him. But then he showed them his hands and asked, Why do doubts arise in your mind? <laughs> what kind of question is that? Why did we doubt? We all saw him dead. Anyways, I told them that I will believe it when I see it. Later, we were all praying. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he looked at me like like I was the only person in the room. He told me to touch his hands where the nail had went through. And on his side where the Spirit pierced him. He came just to tell me, stop doubting and believe. Today is our um, fourth message in this series, and it's the final in, in a series of, I'm calling Wonderful Counselor. And um, I want to thank you if you're visiting today for coming to, to worship the Lord with us here. We really believe that, um, that we want you to feel welcome, and, and so make sure that after church you um, take a few minutes and have coffee and cookies with us and afterwards and so forth. But So we're thankful for, for being here. Previous weeks um, for, for church members who've been here, family members, you know, we've been going through this series, and these are, this is really about questions that Jesus asks. And um, I don't know if you've ever been to a counselor before, but a lot of times we go to counselors or people go to counselors, professional or otherwise, to try to get help with their dilemmas. And, and we may go with all kinds of questions that we haven't, we were seeking answers. And Jesus had this way of um, not answering the questions that was asked of him. Instead, he would turn the tables, and he would ask these, these wonderful questions. And, and so over the last few weeks, we, we looked at his questions. Why are you so afraid? He asked the question, do you believe I can do this? 
And then he asked, last week we looked at this one, do you want to be well? Great questions. Today, today is um, maybe, I think, of the four that we're looking at, is probably the most important. Um, and, and it's one of the most common problems, I think, in the church, not the, this church, but the church everywhere. And it's probably also the least talked about, and that is Jesus' uh, spiritual doubts. Jesus asks this question, why do doubts rise in your mind? Why do they rise in your mind? And the good news for, for you, maybe for some of you, you, you have no doubts at all. You know, maybe you're kind of like the bumper sticker that says, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And I love that kind of determination, and sometimes that, that temperament and that mood overtakes me as well. But um, sometimes it's just not quite that tidy and that simple for me either. I mean, I think for some of us, we, we say, um, you know, I, I, I think that's great for you, um, but sometimes I really want to believe, I really want to believe this, but I can tend to be, I've got this streak in me that's a little bit skeptical. Or, or um, you know, I, I want to believe, but I've got some questions that I need to answer first. Or I, I, I want to believe this, but I need to see some things with my own eyes. I, I really need to see that first. For, for me, for Terry, personally, um, this is nobody's, this is just me. Um, I, I kind of, for a long time, maybe it's still in me, in me probably is, I, my def- I have this default attitude of skepticism. I'm skeptical about things. I don't, I don't mean to be, but it's kind of where I default to. Now, some of you, you're too godly to, do, to, 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 to be that way, but for me, I just kind of can be a little bit skeptical. And, and there was a season that I'm not very proud of. I'm not proud of at all, and um, I look back at it, and I, I, I'm ashamed, frankly. But there was a time that I really believed so much in my own mental horsepower and my own grasp and command of what was true. <laughs> right? I had the world wired, you know, and at 17, I knew. Um, and, um, you know, and, and my attitude was, okay, if it's so, let me see it in the test tube. Prove it to me with a Bunsen burner and a calculator, otherwise you're blowing smoke. It's just not, it's just not the deal. And the simple truth was, you couldn't prove anything to me that I didn't already want to believe. <laughs> it's terrible. And, and uh, I would look through that skeptical lens, you know. If I, if I would have come to church service today and I would have looked through that skeptical lens, I would have said, okay, stand up, sit down, sing a hymn. When you sing your hymn, did you do verse 1, 2, and 4? Because I don't know what's wrong with, ch- with verse number 3, but the church, churches always do verse 1, t- you better start smiling at me, okay? You're going to give me a complex. I mean, but, but I mean, I would look through that lens, and um, the only perspectives that I would ever take seriously would be whichever ones were maybe easiest on me, whichever ones didn't challenge my, um, my own life choices, that would be my perspective. And, and where ambivalence was present in my life, I could most easily resolve that issue with just adding in some indifference, right? And I think that the world sometimes looks at people of faith, and they call us religious people. I don't take that personally. It's not negative. It's just the label that gets used. And they categorize religious people in their minds, and they think, you know, sometimes they think, well, what they believe is just a crutch. Or or they think, you know, maybe they've even been brainwashed, you know, religious people. They just believe these things and they go through these motions to make themselves feel better. 
maybe, you know, maybe they do all that because maybe this whole God thing isn't really true. And for me, that was kind of like how I marched through life, thinking that way. And, and yet, there was this, 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 this residue in my soul that was, I was carrying along with me because I had this, this very deep and real spiritual um, challenge in my life when I was a little boy. And I've probably told you a little bit about this, and I won't go into a lot of detail, but there was this little girl across the street who one day, out of the blue, said what little kids say, which is they blurt out the truth without regard to uh, tenderness or anything. They just blurt it out. And her statement to me was, you're going to the devil. (laughs) Wow. I wanted to fight because... That's my reaction to someone who challenges me, especially at that age, you know, you know, fight or flight. But I also knew she was telling me the truth. Even at this young age, I don't know how old I was, I would guess five-ish. I, I realized that it didn't sound very loving coming from her, but there was a relationship that she had with God that gave her some assurances about eternity, I didn't have those. I was on the outside looking in. I knew I was missing out on something. It wasn't that I didn't want it. I just was, you know, standing looking through the glass and I wasn't in there where it's warm. And I had these doubts and distractions that I carried with me through my life. And uh, I knew I was accountable. That's what I knew. It is a little tiny person. Little kids get way more than sometimes we think they do. Bless that little one. And um, so, you know, I, I, would, I would have been at a certain point in my life the person looking out and saying these things and wondering these things about religious people, yet down in my soul I was carrying these things. And, and instead of addressing the spiritual issue that needed to be addressed, because the challenge was given and it was never met, I just had a tendency to be distracted. Be distracted by all of the stuff that going on in life. Now, here I am, Years later, standing in this pulpit as a pastor telling you that um, doubts come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. They do. I mean, there are some people whose doubts would state that, you know, they completely doubt the existence of God. They they just doubt the existence. They, they, They think that anyone who believes in God is just plain foolish. Or some people would believe, they might say, there's a higher power but they doubt God's involvement in human life. They would say things like, you know, I doubt that he hears my prayers. I prayed once and nothing happened. Maybe he's busy. I don't Whatever. Um, maybe there is a higher power. I just don't know him. Some, some people have settled in their soul that there is a God, but they doubt that he really can love them. After the things I've done, I don't see how God can love me. I do not know how God could forgive me because... I can't forgive myself for these things. And they look back in the history and they say that. Other people say, well, you know, um, I, I kind of want to believe in God, but like I met some Christians <laughs> and they're screwy people, you know. And, um, you know, and, you know, they, 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 want, they, they get down to this point where they say, how can I follow God when I look at you and you're so messed up? I mean, I'm not saying you. Somebody else you, not, not you you. Um, and for those of you who may not be, you know, 
I don't know how to phrase this, normal church people. You know, you don't know the culture necessarily of the church. I'm going to let you in on some inside the church people news here. Church people can be mean to other church people. They ought not to be. It's not a good thing. I'm just saying it's fact. It just, we, it, and, and we, it just is true. And, and we can say things, um, you know, there's this implied, sometimes not even an implied attitude in the church that, you know, if, if you have spiritual doubts, well, you know, you're probably not really even in our club. Okay, I mean, if you have if you have spiritual, if you don't have faith, if you if if you if if, if you're probably not really saved, if you don't have faith, if you have doubts, you're probably not really following Jesus. We're really not sure you belong. There's this implied thing, and uh, doubt comes in all shapes and sizes. But I want to take an opposite approach to this issue of doubts, and say that unless you actually push through honest doubts, you will never probably experience the full depth of faith until you've really addressed doubts. And it's okay to do that. Many people would say, you know, that doubt is is the beginning of the end of faith. And I want to suggest, no, doubt is the beginning of real sincere, grounded faith, if you address it right. So, so to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a guy who was branded as a doubter. You probably know him as Doubting Thomas. Right? Are you afraid that if you say the wrong thing, well, I'll point you out and go, no, that's the wrong answer. You're in church. Don't say the wrong answer. I'm not going to embarrass you, but his name is Doubting Thomas. Okay, Doubting Thomas. Poor old Thomas. You know, his, he only gets discussed in 12 verses in the whole Bible, 12 lousy verses, and he's branded throughout history <laughs> as a doubter. And um, I, I, you know, I'm going to maybe explore that and find out if that's probably not too fair of a way for us to look at him, because we're going to see that even the very biggest doubters can one day have the absolute strongest faith. So here's the context. Jesus has just risen from the dead. And he appears to two guys on the road to Emmaus, and uh, we pick up the story just after that, and we're in Luke 24, starting in verse 36. Now, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. (laughs) That sounds like he was you know, writing a speech for a Hallmark card. But that's not what I think was really going on there. He says, Peace be with you. Be with you. I think that what he was saying was probably, in our vernacular, more like this. Hey, hey, be cool. Chill. Right? Okay. And we're going to see why I think that that's what was really going on, because um, he was, the next verse tells us, verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Why? Because a lot of people, including these guys, had seen Jesus dead. Dead. All the way dead. Completely dead. Not mostly dead. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Okay. But completely all the way dead. Jesus was all the way dead. You know, as a pastor, I've done my share of memorial services, plus I've had family members uh, who've passed away. And, um, you know, we're, we're coming up, I think... Uh, you, sh- you shouldn't have to count stuff like this, but I'm coming up on nine years ago th- almost that, that um, I helped bury my father, my mother's husband. And, and uh, he was 
I was there at the memorial service. He, they put him in the ground. He was all the way dead. And I love my dad and I miss him. But if he shows up for lunch today, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I will need Jesus to come to me and say, hey, chill, be cool, he's with me. Which I could get that. But you get the point here. These guys see Jesus. They are freaking out. I don't think Jesus is writing lines for Hallmark at that point. I think he's saying, peace be still. I think, he's, I think he's means it literally. May peace get back into your soul. I know this is a shocking moment. And that's what's going on in the disciples' mind. Jesus is dead. And um, they're saying, oh, it must be a ghost. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, why are you so troubled? You can almost hear now this love coming out of him. And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. Now, you may not have picked up on this, but guess who was not at the meeting? Thomas. Thomas was not there. How do we know? Because the Gospel of John tells us in uh, verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 24. Um, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, we call him T. Diddy, he was the first gospel rapper. Okay, see, the, you laughed. The sermon's now getting shorter. That's really good. Um, okay, T. Diddy, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Thomas missed church. Did you catch that? I mean, do you know you miss a lot when you miss church? I mean, you know, what did he miss? He, he, he missed the presence of Jesus. He missed the power of Jesus. He missed the proof of Jesus. He missed the peace be still of Jesus. All of that because he just happened not to be in church that day. When you miss church, you miss a lot. He missed the proof of Jesus. By the way, when you miss church, we miss you too. So I'll just, I don't want to flog over that issue. But okay, verse 25. So other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I seal the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were. That's gross. And put my hands into his side. Okay, that's icky. I will not believe. He's saying, I want to believe, but unless I see these, I'm kind of stuck. He's saying, you know, it, it may be that tidy and simple for you, but I need to see something more. I, I, I want something more than secondhand faith. I want first-hand experience with the risen Christ. And that's one of the biggest problems, I think, today in the church in America. There are so many people who just kind of believe, you know, because their parents believe, or because people around them believe, so they just kind of believe. In America, we're all kind of Christians here because, well, after all, I'm not something else, right? So I must be a Christian. And we all just kind of believe. And then one day... Something happens, and it shakes what little bit of faith that you have. And then that day, you ask these questions. Do I really believe this, or is this just because my parents believed it? Do, is Jesus really the only way? I mean, it's a big world. There's lots of people out there that believe a lot of different things. Is, 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 it, is it really? Is that it seems so narrow of a claim. Does God really exist? Did Jesus really, really, really rise from the dead? Now, there are lots of claims 
um, about his rise, him rising from the raising from the dead. I mean, and and the claims of the disciple they explain it. It's I'm going to take a minute on this because you know here's what they were saying, what they were teaching immediately after. They basically said that God loves us so much that he decided to leave heaven and become one of us in person. And so he sent his son Jesus, and uh, Jesus was born in what has to be described as supernatural circumstances. Supernatural circumstances, right? You all know the Christmas story, born of a virgin. And because of those supernatural circumstances, he did not inherit the sinful nature of mankind, but instead he was born with the divine nature of his heavenly father. And he could live, because of that, he could live without sin. And then he gave up his life on the cross. But because he lived his life without sin and gave his life up for you and for me, he became the perfect sacrifice in our place for our sins. And the thing was that after that all happened, so many people claimed he didn't stay dead. On the third day, the stone rolled away, was rolled away, and he wasn't in there. And... Um, not only just a few of his closest confidants saw him, but meeting after meeting, several people saw him. In one meeting, over 500 people were present that saw him. I mean, it's, it's a matter of history. There are secular historians who write about it in the day, who lived there at the time and said, this guy named Jesus was, was, was executed, he was crucified, they buried him, but he was up walking around afterwards. He rose from the dead. Not, I'm not talking about Christians who, who make that claim. This is an undisputed truth in history. It's undisputed. It's a fact. And the claim that he has risen from the dead, if that's true, it kind of requires a response if you care about life and death kind of issues. I mean, I mean, uh, to me, the only reasonable response is to a savior who would die for me is for me to live for him. And so Thomas now is asking the question, is this true? That's a really critical question. Did he really come out of the grave? And it's not just a critical question for him, but it's a critical question for you and for me. I mean, because if it's true, it changes everything. And to people who maybe think that if you have doubts, you can't have faith, I want to say that real faith, you, you, you can't have real faith sometimes unless you have taken time to press through sincere doubts in your life. Doubts are not the end of real faith. They become the beginning of your quest. And that quest leads you to a place of faith that will carry you through um, all that you do with God. And Thomas says, you know, I want to believe, but I need just a little bit more. And some of you, I think today probably there are issues where you want to believe, but you just need a little bit more. You just need a little bit more. And that's exactly what Jesus does for Thomas. We read on in in Scripture, John 20, verse um, 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Okay, this time Thomas is in church. Good for him. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, don't miss this, you know. Every now and then, you just have to take a minute to appreciate some of the cool stuff Jesus does, right? Every now and then, and, and, and you appreciate the power. Through, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Okay? Now listen, if you don't like Star Trek, please, how do you know Jesus doesn't love Star Trek, okay? 
So don't you be judging me for putting in a cool sound effect in the middle of a sermon. I don't mean to be anything other than worshipful of our God, but you just don't know. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed this or not, but a stone didn't keep him in the tomb any more than a lock could keep him from coming back into the room. He wants to be there. He's there. Psalm 139 says that you can go wherever you want. I'm going to paraphrase. You can go wherever you want. Heaven, hell, everywhere in between. You cannot hide from God. He can be there. Anyway, so he shows up in this room. I don't think he used the transporter from the Enterprise, but it's just a cool sound, so you got, that's what you get for free. And, um, and he, one more time, by showing up there the way he did, he, he demonstrates his authority and his command over the creation. And... And he says those words again, peace be with you. I don't think so. It's like, okay, stay calm. Everybody stay cool here. That's what I think is going on. Verse 27, and then Jesus says to Thomas, and I think it's cool, by the way, to notice too, that he didn't talk to any of these other disciples. They were, they were there. The, none of those other conversations are recorded. What's recorded is, is this. He goes to the one who wants to believe He goes straight to Thomas. Jesus says to him, put your finger in here. See my hands. You know, I used to think with my skeptical lenses that he probably was saying, you know, all right, you have to see and believe in. Well, okay, come on, man of no faith. Stick your fingers in there. It's going to hurt, but do it anyway. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I think he was saying, hey, Thomas, I'm here for you. I'm here for what you need. And I understand what you need. And it's okay with me. Put your fingers in there. Put your hand in my side. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my... I can feel the love coming out of Jesus here. Stop doubting, he says, and believe. Stop doubting and believe. And Jesus gave to Thomas exactly what Thomas needed to believe. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't say, all right, Thomas, you go sit down over there. You're in timeout. You know, you, know, you don't have any faith Thomas, so you, you can't be one of my disciples anymore. No, he gave Thomas what he needed to believe. He says, stop doubting and believe. And I believe that somehow, I, I, I'm crazy enough to show up here and believe that the supernatural power of God is here today. And the issues that you drug in here with you, some of them salvation, but mostly not. God, are you ever going to be able to make this marriage Go. God, are you ever going to help me to trust and forgive this thing that's happened to me? God, are you ever going to fill in the blank? I'm crazy enough to believe that the Lord is going to give to you today what you need. Just like Jesus did for this guy, this doubter, this skeptic. Because I was curious about God. You know, can God love me? Can he forgive me? And, I mean, there was a point, unsaved, and I went to my mom and I said, hey, mom, is there a Bible that if I actually read it, I could actually understand it? Because I think I'd only seen a King James Bible, and it was a mystery to me. And um, so she got me one, and I started reading this Bible. I couldn't put it down. So I was reading about the power of God, and I was reading about how time after time after time when the children of God got into trouble, God would provide this way out for them. 
this, this God was always trying to solve the problems for his people if they would just get on board with him. And I'm reading this Bible, and it's messing me up. I mean, in a good way. It's messing me up. And it's getting into my heart, and I'm wanting to believe, but I'm feeling bad about my own heart. I'm feeling bad about stuff that I've done. I'm feeling bad about what I know about myself. And I'm wondering, can I ever actually be right with God? And then I get to this passage in Ephesians 2. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. You know, God is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, he's, some, he's saying these things, and something happened in my soul. And I read about this grace, and I realize I can never be right with God because I do the right stuff. I can never be right with God because of my, but only it's going to be by grace. It's because God has said, I, I'm, I'm going to make this right with you. It's going to be my gift to you, Terry. And it just kind of came together. Then one day I'm in this church service, and um, this pastor, his name is Glenn Cole, and he's, it's a big, huge church, a million people. Well, not literally a million people. Um, and he was doing what he did at every service, and he's giving people an opportunity to open their hearts. And, and um, we've done similar things here where we just say, raise your hand. And so I raised my hand. And there's this little boy sitting in front of me. I probably told this story. He's literally in front of me, and he sees my hand go up. And then Pastor Cole says, now, if you meant what you said when you raised your hand, now come down here and let us pray with you. And I was in the back in the balcony, which meant a march in front of everybody including God, but, but the everybody was who I was afraid of. But who I mostly feared was this little boy. This little guy. It started with a little girl, you're going to the devil, and now a little boy sees me, raise your hand, well, you, 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 you're going to do it, big boy? You're gonna, you're gonna, you know. He didn't say that, but, you know. And, and there's this scripture that explains exactly what's going on here. 1 Corinthians 1, 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And this pastor offered this opportunity on behalf of Jesus. And it was, it's not, this is not the words that were sp- said, but this is the, the equivalent. Hey, Terry, you can touch me if you want. You can. It's okay. Come on. And I got it. And in a moment, I stopped doubting and started believing. And that's what happens to Thomas. You know, touch me, Jesus said in verse 28. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. It became personal. It wasn't Lord God. It was my Lord, my God. It wasn't some second generation faith anymore. It was a first generation thing. He wasn't just believing in Jesus. He was believing Jesus. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. Scripture says that the demons believe in Jesus and they shudder. I mean, Thomas believes Jesus and it became personal. And that's what happened for me too. And I, 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 like I said, I'm crazy enough to believe that it's going to happen to many of us. Somehow, something bigger than, you know, this moment, bigger than me, is, is going to get, something bigger than all of this is going to get into your hearts and you're going to stop doubting and believing. And here's what builds my faith. I think about these eyewitnesses that were present that saw the stuff going on. You know, Peter, Peter, famous to, for us because he says to, you know, to Jesus, hey, I'm going to be there for you when you need me. I'm going to be there. And Jesus says, no, 
I know you want to be, but you're not going to be. In fact, you're not only going to fail me, but it's going to be at least three times. And, and uh, sure enough, that happens. Jesus goes to the cross and he's resurrected and Jesus shows up and has this chat with Peter later and he ends up asking this question, do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep. Peter goes on to be this anointed, powerful preacher. There's, there's this sermon that he gives on the day of Pentecost and the scriptures say that 3,000 people came into the kingdom that day. I mean, that's the move of the spirit. And uh, later, later in his life, people would come to him, enemies of Christ. And he said, hey, unless you will deny all this stuff is true, we're going to have to kill you. And uh, he basically said, no, I, I'm not going to go there. It's true, and I'm, I'm sticking with it. Even though he had denied Jesus before, now he wasn't. He said, well, then we're going to crucify you. He says, I'm unworthy. Don't crucify, crucify me like my Savior was. So they crucified him upside down. And to the end, he refused to deny Jesus. Another guy, James, who was the brother of Jesus, I don't know what you'd have to do to convince your own brother that you were the son of God. Pretty good deal there. But anyway, eventually, um, through all of this, James becomes elevated. He becomes the leader in the church. And years later, the enemies come to him, same thing, renounce your faith in Christ or we're going to kill you. He says, I will not do it. So they shoved him off the temple. It was like a hundred foot fall. He falls, doesn't kill him. Later, they decide to kill him again, so they ambush him, and they say, renounce. He says no, and frankly, they beat him to death. They clubbed him to death. Another eyewitness, unwilling to die, or unwilling to refute. You know, and he'd rather die than that, because of what he saw happen. But the Apostle Paul is another good one. You know, he hated Christians. Some of you maybe hate Christians, too. I don't know, but not as much as Paul did, because he was killing them. And one day, he has this encounter along the roadside with Christ and through that process he becomes so transformed that he stops hating Christians in fact he starts turning people into Christians he starts becoming a leader of people he wrote most of the new testament he's the one who ferociously would preach this you know to live as Christ to die as gain i mean this guy became about Jesus and 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 in his last days they beat him they tortured him they said, refute, he wouldn't. They cut off his head. Another guy who says, I'm not changing my story. The truth is the truth. And um, that just builds my faith. And then there's Thomas. <laughs> doubting Thomas. He's unfairly branded as doubting. And uh, he was actually a person of pretty great faith. And I, I just want to remind you, doubt's not the end of faith. It's just for the beginning. Once, once Thomas got what he needed... He traveled further than any of the other disciples to share the gospel. He went all the way to India and uh, shared the gospel there very successfully. And um, he really believed that. And, and the reason he did it was because he believed people needed to know God and have a saving relationship with Christ. Eternity was resting on it. And when, when Christ's enemies confronted him one day early in the morning in this cave, they said to him, recant or else. He said, no, I, won't re- I will not recant. And so they killed him with a spear. Thomas believed in Jesus enough to die for him, and that builds my faith. Sometimes my personal faith shouts so loud that there's no room for me to even hear the things doubt wants to say to me. Sometimes. But my faith isn't always that perfect. I mean, <laughs> it's usually not. And I get doubts just like other people, just like you do. But when I press into God, he starts to reveal himself. 
He starts to show himself in a way that moves me through my doubts into a place of faith, a faith that knows that the tomb is empty and that he rose. Today, um, you know, any typical weekend Sunday, there are millions, maybe billions of people around the globe that meet just for the very purpose to agree. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that the tomb is empty, and, and he rose. If today you came in here carrying doubts, don't commit, we don't condemn you here. We say, that's a good place to start, and it's authentic. Doubt's not the end of real faith. For many people, bringing those doubts to Jesus is the beginning. And I believe that if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart today, you'll stop doubting and you'll believe. Let's pray.